Today we're going to talk about the habit of worrying. It's something that every young parent knows about, but not only young parents. Old parents know about worrying too, don't we? And people who are not parents know about worrying. In fact, if you are alive on planet Earth right now, you know about worrying because there's just so much to worry about, isn't there? Worrying is one of those habits that makes you miss the present because you're looking down the road to the future and you're living there and it's miserable. And if that's your problem, does anybody have that problem about worrying? You are in the right place this morning and you should be so thankful that you're here and you should be thankful because when we gather like this, God meets us to build us up and you need his help so that you don't get sucked into the loss that comes with worrying. If you're here this morning and you're saying, that is not my problem at all, my bet is you actually worry more than you're aware of. You, you do, because there's just so much anxiety all around us that we miss it, but without even thinking of it, without even being aware of it, our minds get dragged into worry and anxiety about the future. And when we're dragged into the future, it's just bad for us in every way. Worry is bad for you mentally. It's bad for you physically. Worry robs you of happiness in the present, and it makes you ineffective at doing the things that God has for you to do right now. Worst of all, worry makes it absolutely impossible to follow Jesus, because Jesus meets us in the present, and worry takes us away from the present. And to follow him, we need trust, and worry is the opposite of trust. And so this morning, we are going to ask God to help us grow so that we're not plagued any longer by the habit of chronically worrying. If you have something that you're worried about, let it come into your mind for a moment. Maybe it's plans for an event. Maybe it's your health or the well-being of someone you love and care about. Maybe it's about how to turn your phone off during the sermon. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I couldn't waste that opportunity, it was perfect. <laughs> uh, may, maybe it is uh, doing a good job at work. What, whatever it is, let that come to mind, and here's why. We are going to hear this morning from the Lord. When Christians gather together in worship, and when Scripture is read, God is present to speak to us and to say to our hearts the things that they need to hear. And believing that, I'm beginning this morning by reading an extended teaching of Jesus about worry. And instead of following along on the screen, or if you have your Bible, don't open it right now, I want you to do your very best to imagine that you are among the first followers of Jesus. And he's led you away from the distractions of ordinary life, up onto a mountain. In Matthew, there's a, a sermon of his that's recorded. It was given on a mountaintop to his followers. Would you imagine that you're there? And then whatever it is in your mind right now to worry about, it might be your health, whatever it is, school, purpose, you let that emerge and, and open your heart right now to hear not from me, but from Jesus. Listen. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, 
and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we wear, or what will we eat, or what will we drink? For it's the Gentiles who strive after all these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows you need them. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's troubles are enough for today. This is a lesson that we all need to hear. We want to grow. We know there are so many things that we can't change. We wish we could, we can't. And when we reckon with that, we need to put ourselves under the authority of this teacher. We need his lesson to go deep into our hearts so that we're not ruined by the things we have no control over. But so instead, we can be people who are settled, strong, and at ease. No matter what's happening out there, we need to learn from Jesus. Do not worry, Jesus says, about what you will eat and what you will drink or about what you will wear. With these two things, what you will eat and drink, what you will wear, Jesus is specifying the scope of his command by using a rhetorical trope known as synecdoche. And I tell you that because it makes me feel like the years I spent studying rhetoric in graduate school were completely worth it. (laughs) Synecdoche is when... You re- that was funny. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. All right. Synecdoche is when a person refers to a part of something in order to refer to the whole thing. Like when you call a car your wheels. Food and drink are a part of something that people tend to worry about. They represent the basic necessities of life. Food and drink are included, but there's lots of things which you need to survive that you worry about. A place to live that's adequate. Enough money to pay for the things that are required. You need Many things in order to feel like you've got life in hand. And those are the things, when you don't have enough of them, you worry. Are are you able to identify some in your mind? There are also intangible things that fit into that category. The things that you need to survive emotionally and mentally. You need to know that there's a purpose. You need to trust that there's some meaning. 
You need people to love and people to love you. You need to have dignity and respect. You need to be accepted. You need to be cared for and you need to experience compassion. All of these are the basic necessities of life. And here comes Jesus saying, do not worry about these things. Clothing is just the same. It's a part standing for a whole. In the first century, what a person wore corresponded directly to their role or their rank in society. You didn't get to choose it. It was given to you. A servant in the first century wore the servant's towel. A military officer wore his uniform. The judge wore the judicial robes. Clothing was an external expression of your status or your standing. Jesus is saying, don't worry about how high you've climbed. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Don't worry about the way culture measures your value. Don't worry about how much you've achieved or how superior you are to those people. Set all that aside. You should not worry about that. Jesus comes and says, all that you are concerned about when it comes to your personal value, you can set that aside. You don't need to worry about it. Be at rest and at ease. Don't worry about your necessities. Don't worry about your personal value. Don't worry about your life. Can you imagine accepting that invitation from Jesus and moving forward in it. Can you or not? Jesus desperately wants you to. Picture it. When you look down the road and you see that future which is undetermined, instead of dwelling there unproductively, and that's what worry is. Worry is unproductive concern about what's not happened yet. It's mental and emotional preoccupation with what's down the road that does no good because instead of encouraging you to do something different now, it just enables you to picture the worst possible scenario down the road and it makes you feel awful. Does anyone else know what that's like? I do still. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Why not? Jesus is a phenomenal teacher. In those words that I read... He offers guidance. He offers reasons not to worry from two different perspectives. Partly pragmatic, just what's reasonable, and also partly theological that come from what he believes about God. If you're here this morning and you're not sure what you believe about God, let's start with the pragmatic rationale for not worrying because Jesus gives us good reasons, even if we're not sure what we think about God, not to worry the first comes in a question that he asks in verse 27. Now let's look at it. Look at it. He says this. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? It's a very reasonable question. Does worrying do you any good at all? Does it help you? Does anybody want to answer this? No, it doesn't. Does it make a positive difference in life? No. What's the outcome of your worrying? Jesus wants those reasonable people who've gathered around him to use their minds and think for a moment. What good does all of this worrying actually do? In 2010, there was a group of researchers from Harvard University, and so you know it must be true, who decided to study what happens in your mind throughout the day. Uh, two guys on the team developed an app which was downloaded on thousands of cell phones. And, and what happened is throughout the day, the phone buzzed. And if you were in on this study, you were responsible for taking notes on three things. What am I doing? What am I thinking about? And how 
am I feeling? All three of those. The, the team ended up with over a quarter of a million data points to analyze after they conducted the study. And they searched through the results to see if they could find any patterns. And what they found was that half of the time, half of the time, respondents were not thinking about what they were doing. Even when they were at work, their minds were wandering. Now, somebody's thinking, oh, on my job, my mind's wandering 100% of the time. Uh, <laughs> you might need a new job. But, but what they discovered was that as people's minds were wandering, again, get this, 50% of the time, their minds were going to either two things, regret about the past or concern about the future. That is, Half of the time, our minds are wandering and settling down in that unpleasant place of worrying. Looking back and saying, did I ruin everything with that mistake I made in the past? And worrying about it. Thinking about that group and what they think of me now that I said that thing back there or I did that thing or I failed in that way. Can you relate? Or looking down the road and saying, what happens when that diagnosis gets worse? What happens when this child gets older? What happens when they make this decision and then they follow it with the next logical one? What happens when I lose that and how am I going to make it? I know many of you can relate. Here's the way the researchers describe the outcome of their study. A human mind is a wandering mind and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. These are researchers trying to study what happens in our minds, and they say it simply, we habitually worry, and when you habitually worry, you become profoundly unhappy. The results led to a second study, and this one designed to discover how much of what people worry about actually comes to pass. The stuff that you're concerned about, how often does it actually happen? They took a large group of folks, they recorded the details of what they worry about, and then years later, they brought them back together and they said, did you have to face that thing which you spent half of your life worrying about? 85% of what people worry about never happens. Wow, wow right? Now, you're not a chronic warrior because all the chronic warriors are saying, but that's 15% left behind, that's a lot. <laughs> well... <laughs> So, so they, they, they took it a step further, and for the 15% who said it happened, 79% of those people said it was not even close to as bad as I had imagined, and in fact, I learned lessons from what I had to go through that I never would have learned if I didn't have to suffer like that. So worry is unpleasant, and it's mostly completely unnecessary, which is why Jesus asks the question pragmatically. What's the good of it? And it's why he ends his teaching, look at it now, with these words. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Being a complete realist, Jesus can say, tomorrow doesn't deserve your attention because you can't do anything about tomorrow. You can only do things about today. When your mind goes ahead, it goes into a place where it is ineffective. You can only change reality in the present. So you leave tomorrow for the time when it becomes today because you've got plenty to worry about today, don't you? It seems like a mean thing to say, oh, there's a lot of mess right now, but it's true. Can I get an amen? 
there's plenty to worry about. Now, now listen. If Jesus was only a pragmatist, he would not be someone whose words were gathered up together in a book which we trust is the word of God because he didn't just speak from a practical standpoint, he also spoke from a theological standpoint. And in this lesson of his, which we all need, even more than we need pragmatic guidance, we need to learn about God. And it's because of who God is that Jesus commands those who will open their hearts to him not to worry. And I'm telling you this now because you, whether you know it or not, are a child of the Most High. God made you and brought you into this place this morning. And he wants you to grow and learn. And if your heart would be open to what Jesus has to say about who God is, then his spirit can have its way. His spirit can have his way with you in your heart. Would you open your heart to the spirit of God right now? Think about the birds, he says. And, and do this now. They're not worrying. They're working. They're out there doing what they need to do, but they're not anxious. They're not sowing and toiling. They're not gathering up their seeds to put in a 401. What is it? 401k? I don't even know because I haven't been paying attention to mine. Maybe I need to worry about that a little more. They're not worrying, he says. They're, they're not. They're fine. They're singing and they're existing in the, in the moment. Why? Did you see what Jesus said? Or did you hear what Jesus said about why the birds are okay? Look carefully at this. He says it in verse 26. Your heavenly father feeds them. That's why the birds are okay. That's why the birds have what they need every single morning. It's because your heavenly father attends to them. Would you think with me for a moment about the theological ideas that are embedded in Jesus' statement there? It's easy to just pass over it, but if we pause and we ask, what is he believing about God when he says that the reason the birds are okay is because your heavenly father is feeding them? He believes that God sees the birds exactly where they are. Think about that for a moment. There's a lot of birds Every one of them, every one of them has the attention of God. And if he's feeding them, it means he knows and cares about their hunger, which means when they don't have enough, it actually occupies part of God's heart. That's a theological belief that Jesus has. And if he's providing for them, it means that God has the power required to deliver the food that they need, and he's choosing to do it because he values them. All of that is wrapped up in this assertion of Jesus that the reason the birds don't need to have a life that's ruined with worry is because your heavenly father is caring for them. And then he adds this question. It's for you. It's in the second half of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? The answer to that question is yes. You should say it in your heart right now. I am more valuable to God than the birds. I matter to God more than they do. You can say this right now. I matter 
to God more than I've ever even imagined. It's in the Bible where Paul says that in a prayer that he prays, that you would know the love of God, which is beyond what you could even ask or imagine. And if God cares for the birds by providing for their basic necessities because he values them, then you can rest assured that he will provide for your basic necessities because you matter to him more than the birds do. And so you can be confident and set aside worrying about having the basic things that you need. Do you hear it? The same point is true when he refers to the lilies. Do you remember that reference? That the lilies, they don't spin or toil, and yet they are more magnificent in their clothing than the most magnificently dressed person that anyone in that time could imagine, King Solomon. That guy wore five different kinds of tweed on Sunday. He, he was magnificent, but compared to the lilies of the valley or even the grass of the field, he was nothing. And not because they tried to look magnificent, but because they were beautiful. And you know what made them beautiful? It was that they were free to be as God had made them. They didn't have to strive for any anything other than being just as they had been designed and their beauty resided in the fact that the creator of all made them on purpose just as he had and so they didn't have to be concerned about what they looked like. The same is true for you. You don't have to have a magnificent job to be valuable. You don't have to be a parent who's got it all together to have profound value. You don't have to be a spouse or a friend or a lover or whatever you are You don't have to do that well to have value in the eyes of God. All you have to do is to be someone that he made. And every one of you, every single one of you is someone that he made. And this is the theological convictions from which Jesus teaches when he stands before that group of disciples as I stand before you now and says, do not worry about your life. Because of who God is, you do not need to worry. God is omnipresent. Have you heard that word before? Everywhere. So wherever you are concerned, you are not alone. God is there with you. God is omniscient, all-knowing. Every secret fear that you are tortured by Every little shame that you tried to bury, but it's not deep enough down, it still plagues you with anxiety. All of that is, all of it is known by God. Every bit of it. And you are valuable to him. God is omnipotent. You've heard that word too? All powerful. There is nothing that you require which is beyond his power to deliver. And these ideas about who God is. These are the theological convictions of Jesus. And in this moment, you are invited to open your heart to them and believe. And if you will, then not only do you have a pragmatic foundation for saying no more worry, you also have a theological one. Would you open your heart to that now? Please? Yeah. Don't set your mind aside. Bring your specific concerns into that place where your heart is open to. Would you do that? Whatever you're worried about, it's an illness. It's having enough money. It's, it's the kids. It's your own view of yourself. Whatever it is, 
You let it be there. And Jesus, the Lord, says to you, don't worry about that. And now listen. He doesn't only tell you what you should not do. He also says what you should do. Because to the negative command that he opened with, do not worry, he adds a positive command. You might not have seen it while I read, but it's in verse 33. After telling those disciples not to worry, here's what he says they should do instead. Verse 33. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that is what you should do instead of worrying. And that means, listen now, that means that you should get your mind out of the future where it worries, bring it back into the present, and right here, your first goal should be to obey and trust God, who is your authority, whether you know it or not. That's what that command means. Let me unfold it because it's a little bit tricky. There are two clauses in that command that are easy to misunderstand. The first one is the kingdom of God. That might sound to you like you're supposed to strive for heaven so that when you die, you get into the pearly gates. The kingdom of God is often understood in that way. Here, Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about the domain where God, who is the true king, is ruling and reigning right now. And when he says you should strive first for that kingdom, what he means is, in your life, in the present, make it your goal to obey the true king. And if you will do that, every time you're tempted to worry, you will be dragged out of the future, back into the present, and you will be doing the very best thing that you can do, which is to live as if the true king is the king, and you will therefore live as a faithful servant of his. You may say, I don't want to be his servant. Fine. Then you will live as an unfaithful servant of his, because he is the true authority, whether you want it to be so or not. He is the king of all. The entire universe is his. You have the freedom in the present to seek his kingdom first. And that means when you're anxious, take your mind out of the future and in the present say, how can I obey the true king right now? Do you know that you can do that in any situation? Here, try this for a minute. You're worried about uh, the performance review that's going to come in two weeks at work. And now you're thinking, why did he have to say that? Because I can't listen now. You can dwell on that, or you can take your mind out of that place into the present. And you can do this. You can say, God, you gave me the ability to work. What do you want me to do at my job? And then open your ears. He'll tell you what you need to hear about your job. He will not tell you what you need to hear about your job if all you're thinking about is there. But if in the present you say, what do you need me to do? You could do the same with a relationship. Right? You're super angry because that other person did the wrong thing again and you are just so mad and now you're picturing yourself having to confront them. Stop worrying about that and in the present say, God, how am I meant to deal with that person? And then remember, he's the king and say, king, what do you want me to do? And then you do it. Do you see it? It's similar with the second phrase, his righteousness. That may sound like good behavior. That's what we tend to think of as righteousness. No, the way the scriptures teach us about righteousness, it starts all the way back in the very beginning of the Bible. If you would pick the Bible up and start reading in Genesis, in the book, first book of Moses, you get to the 15th chapter, the sixth verse, and you see there, Abram trusted God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do any of you know about Abram? Paul makes the same point in Romans 15. It comes up in Galatians. It comes up in the book of Hebrews. Righteousness is trusting 
God. When you trust God, it leads to the very best kind of behavior because the person who trusts God does the right thing. But doing the right thing is not the same thing as trusting God. And here you are told by Jesus, stop worrying, pursue his righteousness, which means trust him. And you can do this in the present as well. And there's no better time to try it out than when you're anxious about something. What are you anxious about? And don't answer out loud, but to yourself. In, in this moment, I can do it too. I'm going to do it right now. What am I anxious about? It's too easy. I'm serious. It's too easy for me to think of a dozen things down the road, but I've got one or two of them right now. And instead of worrying about them, Jesus invites me to trust him. That means picture yourself there with Jesus. You've divulged all of the details that cause you anxiety. And then you listen to Jesus say, this is what I hear, Christian, trust me. Do it for yourself right now. Trust me. Now it's going to be hard. I'm going to need to hear Jesus say it a second time. Because I'm going to say, I trust you, Jesus. And then it's going to be like, oh yeah, but what about that? Trust me. So the path of growth is slow and steady. It's not all at once. It's like that in every human endeavor. All of the good things that people do in the world, they come as the result of slow and steady progress. And this is the best thing that I get to tell you this morning. Jesus is with you at every step of this slow and steady journey. He is rooting for you every single step of this slow and steady journey. He is never gonna turn away from you on this path, even if you get it wrong again and again and you start worrying about worrying. He's right there. He'll never abandon you. He is faithful through and through. He is the Lord who loves you more than you could ever dream or imagine. And right now, right now, he has you in his arms and he is rooting for you to move forward away from worry towards trust and obedience. Will you let him carry you the next step? Will you? I need to hear it more than that. Yes? Yes. All right, let's pray now. God, we need the help that only you can give. We thank you for the way that you speak to us when we gather through your word. We thank you that as we hear the words of Jesus, it is the spirit of truth that speaks to our hearts the words of life. God, as we've attended to your teaching this morning, you have planted some good seeds in our heart. God, we know also that the enemy is attentive, trying to plant some weeds. Root those up right now. Any shame, any discouragement, any way of looking at ourselves and beating ourselves down, away with it. But those places where we've become a little hopeful, where we've begun to loosen our grip on our old habits, where we've begun to trust you a bit more, where we've seen the places that you are calling us to obedience, add the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to those things like fresh water on newly growing plants and help those things grow to bear good fruit. Save us here in this place from feeling like we have to do this alone. Remind us, even as we're gathered in this room that is full of people, that you've invited a community to be on this journey with one another. Help us have our eyes open to those who especially need our help if we're doing okay. And take away any pride that would keep us from admitting where we really need help. And then meet us where we are vulnerable. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. 
And all God's people said, Amen.